Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about creating a model music studio system. You can find the accompanying article for this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 147. Welcome back, beautiful teachers, to another episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. Whether you're brand new here or you've been listening for a while, I love to hear from you. So do leave your feedback for me as you listen to this episode. Join in the conversation at the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers Group on Facebook or in the article for this episode in the comments section if you're not a Facebook person. Music studio systems might sound like an incredibly boring topic, but if you stay with me, I promise you it's more interesting and definitely more valuable than you might imagine. What I want you to do for this episode is to go on a little journey with me. I want you to imagine that you're going to franchise your studio. If you're not familiar with that word, franchising is when you take a prototype restaurant or business and you create it in various different cities or in various different locations. It's not the same as a business where everything is owned by the one company. Franchises are locally managed and have separate owners, and they're all under the one franchise. One of the most famous examples would be a McDonald's, right? So when I say McDonald's, I think you grasp what's going on here. Now let's imagine that you're going to have a franchise. So your studio is going to serve as the model for this franchise. And I know right away, you might have already done it. Well, you haven't because you're still listening. But you might be tempted right now to turn off this episode and think, okay, this just isn't the one for me. I normally really enjoy Nicola's episodes, but this is not something I want to get into. I'm not someone who wants to grow an empire. I just want to run my own music teaching studio. Just me, no other teachers, definitely not a franchise system. But that's not what this is about, so stay with me. I want you to imagine that your studio is going to become this model for a franchise that's going to go all over the world. And I want you to imagine that not so that you can create it, although if that sounds like a worthy goal to you, go for it. No shame here. But even if you just want to stick with five students, I want you to imagine that you're the model version for this franchise business so that you can create the best 
possible studio. Because if your studio was going to be the model, you would need to have defined systems and you would need to have come up with parameters around how you do things. The reason that's so important in a franchise, of course, is if one McDonald's does things completely differently to another McDonald's and people walk into that McDonald's, they're expecting a certain service and they don't get it the way that they're expecting. And that's detrimental to their business. But for us, if we treat our studio as if it was a model for a franchise, then we're going to create the best possible version of our studio. If we imagine that it's going to be rolled out, we have to define how we do things. And that's going to give us clarity, even if it's only ever going to be us and we're not even going to have admin staff or anything else. If you create a model studio mentality, you're going to create an amazing experience for your students. You're going to create a studio where your students are the most likely, have the best chance of becoming lifelong musicians, if that's your goal. Coming up with systems is about deciding how you do things. How we do it here, or how I do it here. How we do things at, enter your business name, enter your studio name. You need to be able to stand behind everything that happens in your studio. And the best way to do that is to make conscious, thoughtful decisions about how you do things and then stick to those for as long as they're relevant. And when you need to make change, you make a thoughtful, conscious change. You don't just do things haphazardly. You don't do that because not only is it not the best possible service, is it inconsistent and you can't be sure that you 100% stand behind everything that you do, but you shouldn't be doing that because it leads to things that are unfair, honestly. Let's imagine a little bit further, (laughs) kind of a separate tangential imagination to our franchise system. Let's imagine you have two students, and the first one, you follow up with an email right after he takes his lesson, and he get his you follow up with his parents with a phone call after that he gets his new books right away you conduct the lesson exactly the way you want to he gets a progress note sent to his parents after 10 weeks all of these things happen and with the second student none of those things happen you just get busy you miss things here or there you think that that parent probably knows what's going on cuz you chatted to them in person but you don't follow up with an email and you don't call them and you don't send the progress report. Which student is more likely to continue? Well, the second student, if they do have a parent who studied music themselves and is on the ball with everything that you might be doing in your studio, yeah, they might be fine. The result might be the same, but they haven't got the same chance, actually. With different backgrounds or with both students coming from a background where their parents didn't study music or their parent is busy with other things, you're giving that second student less of a chance. Now, maybe your system is just to chat to the parent at the lesson, and that's fine, but you should do that with everyone too. Everyone should get equal treatment. And if you put these systems in place, you're going to be more likely to do things that help those non-musical, quote-unquote, parents to stay in your studio. 
that help those students to succeed and those are the students we need to reach the most. So let me address some objections, first of all, to the idea of a music studio system. The first one I've kind of talked about already, and that's the idea that it isn't for you. It's not right for you. Many of you will have thought this. Whether you're self-employed and teaching three students a week, or you run a multi-teacher music school with hundreds of students, either way, you need a system because you need that consistency. It's about being a professional and it's about respecting your students' time, their parents' time, and the responsibility of taking on their music education. Having a studio system doesn't mean that you have to roll out your business to every city, but it does mean that it could be rolled out everywhere. And your studio will be so much the better for that. I know that that is a good fit for you because you're here, you're listening to this podcast, you're invested in your professional development, you consider yourself to be a professional, or at least you want to. And that's why you're here. So this is for you. Creating a studio system is for you. The next objection you may have running around your mind is that everything cannot be systematized. This doesn't work for every little thing. And yeah, it doesn't work for every little thing, but it works for more than you think. We are in an extremely human profession. It's one of our strengths. When everything else is passed off to robots, I believe that we will still be teaching music because it is such a human interaction. So surely, surely, it can't be broken down into repeatable systems, can it? Doesn't that dehumanize the whole experience? Well, go back to those two students I talked about. Is it less human for you to follow up more consistently with your students? No, it's not. And it goes beyond just that. When you teach, how you get paid, how you put on concerts, what they look like, and how you book things, and when you book things, and what books you order, it's easy to see how those things can be translated into systems. I think you can probably get on board with that right away and see the value in it, even if you're not doing that that way quite yet. However, so too can the way you talk to students and the way you make decisions. They can be guided by things that are unique to your studio and defined about how you do things. There's nothing inhuman about that. It's about standing for something. It's about having a business that has an identity, that means something and that does things a certain way. It doesn't mean you give every student the same books. It doesn't mean that you insist every student competes in certain competitions. It might mean that, but it might also just mean that when you are going to consider whether a student should be put forth for a certain competition or an exam or go into a certain books, you ask yourself the same five questions. That's the kind of consistency we're looking at. You're examining when you do things the best way. What does that look like? Okay, well, I ask myself these five questions when I truly consider that decision and when I balance all the options for my students versus the times when you just make a decision on impulse. And if that's the best way of doing things for you and your students, then that's the way you should do it every time. That's what a system is. The last objection that you probably have, let's squash it, 
is about time, isn't it? I don't have time to make a system for my studio, what are you talking about? I do have to make snap moment-to-moment decisions because that's just how things go. I don't have time to be writing down manuals or something. First of all, I'm definitely not talking about writing out a full comprehensive manual. Those are usually useless, nobody looks at them, and therefore they don't work. However, you do have time to put in place systems that are repeatable, because you're going to be saving yourself so much time by doing it. And even the putting together of that system, even that initial investment, that doesn't take as long as you think it does. It takes slightly longer than just doing the thing, if you do it right. So if you're running around doing things all day, this could give you clarity. This could save you time in the long run. And actually in the short run, it doesn't even take that much of an investment. And it can be done piecemeal, tiny little bits at a time. So if you want to save yourself some time, if you want your studio to be more fair, more equal for everyone who comes to you, and if you want to stand for something, to be a unique studio, one that does things a certain way, that has an identity, a brand if you like to see it that way, then I want you to think about this idea of putting systems in place. If you're a Vibrant Music Teaching member, we have just released a course that will do exactly this. It's called Smooth Studio Systems. And it's going to help you design systems for your studio that can be used again and again. And you can do a little bit at a time. So take on one system from the course and then come back and do the next one. Or do it in one big binging session and have it all set up. The most important thing about a system is that you follow through with it. So while setting it up initially, that's all in the course. When you have it set up, make sure to check back in with the community and maybe find an accountability buddy inside VMT so that you can keep those systems going and updated because that's the most important thing. So if you're a member already, you can check out that course inside the library. Just hop on over and jump in at your leisure. If you're not a member yet, you can sign up at vmt.ninja and we always give everyone access to everything right away. So whether it's that course or some other resources that I've mentioned previously that you're interested in, you'll get instant access to everything once you sign up. So that's vmt.ninja if you want to join us inside the community. That's it from me. I hope to hear from you about your ideas around music studio systems and this idea of a franchise and seeing yourself as a model for a franchise and whether that resonates with you. Come talk to me inside the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers group on Facebook. Or if you're not a Facebook person, You'll find the show notes, the article that goes along with this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 147. And I'd be delighted to hear from you there. That's it for this week. I'll see you next time. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it. And I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July. And you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.